Uh, good morning and happy Easter again. We're so thankful to be with you here this morning. I hope this morning you've been able to connect with the resurrection, that you've been able to just think about it, to meditate on it as we've gone through singing and through communion together, just the importance of the resurrection. I know this is a holiday uh, we celebrate every year, and you know, for us, we, we commemorate the death and the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. But it is important for us to step back on a particular Sunday during the year and just underscore the importance of the resurrection. So this morning, I hope that we're able to do that uh, with you all this morning. So just to recap where we were, this is kind of a two-part series. Uh, Last week, we talked about Palm Sunday. And we talked about how through Palm Sunday, we kind of realized the very first commandment of the greatest commands, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And we talked about that within the lens of recognizing that Jesus is king. And on Palm Sunday, we recognize that Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. He is coming into the city saying, it is right for you to call me king, but I'm not going to be the king that you expect me to be. Right? We talked about the different type of king that Jesus is going to be. And we talked about these two things of loving God and Jesus as king because it's easy to recognize Jesus as king when he's coming into Jerusalem. But it's not so easy to recognize Jesus as king on the cross or in the tomb, right? And we recognize today we're celebrating Easter and we're celebrating, you know, the, that triumphal entry once again, right, uh, of, of his resurrection. But it's not always easy to see that Jesus is king. And for us, when we're going through periods of darkness, when we're going through periods of light, both those things give us difficulties, right, when it comes to recognizing Jesus as king. But it's so, so important that we remember Palm Sunday in light of the resurrection because these two things go together. Jesus is king. But the important thing is that we don't just talk about Easter. We don't just talk about the resurrection. Because in order to have the resurrection, there must be a death that takes place first. There must be Good Friday in order for there to be Easter Sunday, right? And and we talked a little bit last week about how, you know, with history, we can say that that Friday, it was Good Friday because, you know, Jesus died and he rose, rose from the dead. But in that moment, it must have been very difficult, right, for Jesus's friends and his family to recognize anything good taking place. But just like we talked about last week, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, Jesus is king. He's not a king that's going to sit on a throne, but he's going to be a king that's nailed to the cross. And that's where I want to begin today. Okay, because like I said, you can't have Easter without Good Friday. You can't have the resurrection without the cross. And we're going to emphasize this kingship. And this is something that we talk about, I mentioned a lot of times in class, is that yes, while Jesus is king, his kingdom is very different. And I often refer to his kingdom as the upside down kingdom, right? A lot of the things that we value and we place you know, value on as people, a lot of times Jesus takes that and reverses it, right? If you just look through the Beatitudes, right? The meek shall inherit the earth, right? Things like that, those statements that we would not necessarily associate with power, Jesus empowers, right? I think about when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. That is not the job of a teacher, That is the job of a servant. But what Jesus is telling us is that service 
is the power in his kingdom. And so this upside down kingdom, I think, is exemplified in the way that Jesus talked about his coming death. If you look through the the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find that Jesus actually predicts his death three times, okay? And if you look with me here, we're just going to stay in Luke, actually. And uh, in Luke chapter 9, we find uh, the first time that Jesus predicts his death. And he does it twice in Luke chapter 9, so just stay with me here in Luke 9, beginning in verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Continuing in verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will save it. This is the upside down kingdom. Whoever wants to save their life must lose it. The Son of Man must suffer many things. This is not what a normal king does. A normal king does not suffer. The normal king prospers. But this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is talking about is very important. Continue on in chapter 9, beginning in verse uh, 44. Okay. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him. An argument started among the disciples to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Again, this upside down kingdom, as Jesus is predicting his death, is being initiated. He's saying the Son of Man will be uh, carefully, excuse me, will be delivered into the hands of men. And then he goes a step further to say, the one who is the least among you is the greatest. These things do not compute in our world. The greatest is the greatest, not the least, right? You You should not lose everything in order to gain everything. No, that's the opposite of what people will tell you to do in this world. But Jesus is not talking about this kingdom. He's talking about his kingdom, his kingship of servitude, and ultimately his death. So that's two predictions of his death. The last one comes in Luke 18. And beginning in verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. The Son of Man will be mocked. The Son of Man will be spit on. The Son of Man will be killed. This is not what a king normally does. And again, I'm underscoring, I'm saying these things over and over again to further the point that Jesus' kingdom is not like anything that we expect or imagine it to be. 
in all of these times where Jesus predicts his death, the people he's around, his closest friends, his closest disciples do not understand what is going on. In all of these things, it, it seems like the, the message is too hard for these people to compute because those things do not make any sense. It does not make sense for a king to die this way. It does not make sense for these things to happen in the way that Jesus spells them out. And in every single time, the disciples do not understand what is taking place. And I say that to underscore what takes place after his resurrection. When Jesus goes and visits people three times, okay, the three is very important, okay? Just look here. I'm going to, to pick out from Luke 24, beginning in verse 8, after Jesus had just... Um, had uh, just come into contact with the woman who took the spices uh, to the tomb. Verse 8, after Jesus said this, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Over to verse 31 of chapter 24. This is while some disciples are on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus has this conversation with them. They go as far to go have a meal with this Jesus that they don't recognize. And after he gave thanks and broke the bread and gave it to them, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Continuing on to verse 45, when Jesus appears to the disciples, beginning in verse 44, excuse me, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. They all needed a reorientation, a relearning of what Jesus had been saying for a very long time. They were told exactly what was going to happen. They saw it take place, and it was still difficult for them to understand what truly took place on that cross that day. And it's definitely more confusing that the days after when Jesus is visiting them, I do not blame the disciples for needing a reorientation because these people do not understand this king. They do not understand this kingdom. They needed a reorientation. And if it's, if it's this difficult for Jesus' closest friends and his disciples to understand and that they need a reorientation, how much more so do we need to be reoriented about the resurrection of Jesus? Like I've said many times, we have the benefit of history, right? We have the benefit of recognizing these things took place and we've studied them and we've worshiped God for a long time and we still need a reorientation because I still don't think that we understand exactly what Jesus was communicating to people through his death and through his resurrection. Because, and I don't, I don't wanna say this to be, you know, like degrade anybody or, or to be mean, but a lot of times Easter is just seen as another holiday, right? I mean, you know, places like Target and Walmart, they have the Easter decorations out. And I love, you know, I love all that. I love the Easter egg hunts, but for a lot of people, that's all Easter's about is Easter eggs and chocolate and ham or whatever you eat, you know, a big meal. I mean, I guess that's what we always do, right? We take a, a holiday and just eat. Um, and for a lot of people, including Christians, that's all Easter's about. We keep Easter at arm's length. We keep the resurrection you know, in our minds, a lot of people would just come to church, you know, on Easter and Christmas. And I'm not 
saying anything bad about that. Like, if that's where you are currently, that's, that's where you are. But I think if we take seriously what took place on Easter, we cannot have that perspective of the resurrection. We must do more with the resurrection than celebrate it as a holiday on Easter. We have to put flesh on it. Just as Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, just as God came down from heaven to be with his creation, we need to see the resurrection and see, okay, how can I make this personal for me and literally put flesh on it? Let me live out the resurrection in the world today. How can we do that? How does Easter and the cross give us an example of loving other people? Because that's kind of the lens we're going through today. Last week we talked about loving God, and this week we're talking about how can the resurrection, how can the Easter miracle of resurrection inform us of how we can love others? Two things. The first thing is the cross, okay? The cross teaches us to love sacrificially love sacrificially. And you can see this throughout the life of Jesus. It's not just on the cross, but when you really think about the cross, that's all it comes down to, right? There's all kinds of songs, right? Where, you know, you talk about, you know, it wasn't the nails that hung Jesus on the cross. It was love. He could have called 10,000 angels, right? But he didn't. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross for us. And we can say that, and, and even as I say that, that sounds like such a mental thing, right? Oh, I know that, I understand that, but do you take that mental knowing, that knowledge, and bring it down to here and recognize, oh man, that is a sacrificial love that I can't fathom. What can I do to put that type of love into the world, to love sacrificially? And I almost want to use a different word. I think it's important to use the, the word sacrificially because we're talking about the cross and Jesus' sacrifice. But what I want to maybe make this, this more real and more tangible is to love selflessly, to do things in this world where you do not get really any benefit from getting those things out into the world. By doing things that don't benefit you. And sometimes we think of sacrifice as, you know, oh, I gotta do this or, or it's gonna be such a hassle or such a pain. A lot of times it's not. <laughs> A lot of times it's, it's those things that you do to, to help other people where you don't get anything really in return. Yes, you might have spent a little bit of time or money, but at the end of the day, like you've benefited somebody else and that's loving sacrificially. Whether it be volunteering your time at the food pantry or with the youth group, that's something that I tell people all the time. Like When it comes to youth ministry, just showing up is like 80% of the job showing up in the lives of teenagers and saying, hey, I care about you and I want to know what's going on with your life. Tell me about it. That's not very hard, but it is loving sacrificially. And it's not just with teenagers, it's with your friends. And I talk about listening, and I talk about communication probably too much, um, but that's how we can love sacrificially by having a conversation with someone and listening and being there for that person in a way that they need you to be there. And I urge you this week to look for opportunities to love sacrificially because I guarantee you'll find them. And like I said, it's not just the radical stuff. We look at the cross and say, man, that is a radical version 
of loving sacrificially, and it is. And just so you know, we can't replicate that. But we can do little things where we sacrifice of ourselves in order to put more love into this world. And that's what the cross is teaching us, that we need to emulate the cross in that way. And I think it's important for us to recognize that the cross is not supposed to be a symbol of shame. Sometimes we think about the crucifixion where we think we're supposed to feel bad. And obviously we should mourn and we should, you know, have that sense of, you know, that was a gruesome thing that happened. But that's not what the cross is meant to do for us. And I think about this in Hebrews chapter 12 all the time. In Hebrews 12, it says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Not so that you feel sad and mourn all the time. It's so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so that you won't run out of steam when it comes to living out what Jesus has called you to do, to love sacrificially and to put that type of love out into the world. That is what the cross is supposed to empower those who believe in its power to do in this world. Love sacrificially. That's the first thing. The second thing that the cross teaches us about loving others is that we need to live transformatively. Live transformatively. And what I mean by that is that, like I said last week, Jesus did something that's far and away more than we could ever think or imagine it to be. We talked about Habakkuk. Even if I told you what I was going to do, you would not believe it. And we saw that take place with Jesus predicting his own death, right? He told them over and over again. But they still could not fathom the depths of what Jesus is going to do on the cross and through the resurrection. But as Jesus goes through this resurrection, he goes through a transformation that is unbelievable, not so that, that we can just glorify that as a day, but so that we can live out that transformation in our own lives, live a resurrected life within ourselves, to grow and to mature and to deepen our thinking and to deepen our care and our surrender to other people. This is a difficult thing for us to do sometimes, to live transformatively, to live in a way that we are asking ourselves the question, why do I think this way? How would Jesus inform my decision in this way? And I'm not asking you to go back to your Bible class, you know, when you were seven years old. I love those Bible class. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying those are bad things. But if that's your faith that you've had your entire life, if that's your knowledge that you've had your entire life, you are empty right now because you are not living out the resurrection. You are not able to live transformatively because you have not transformed within yourself to a greater version of who God has called you to be. And I'm not saying I'm there, I'm, but, but what I love about this word, I wasn't even sure if it was a word. I had to look it up like four times. But transformatively indicates that it's an ongoing process. Well, yes, Jesus' resurrection happened at this time, but we're sitting here today still talking about it. This resurrection is still changing hearts and still changing minds. 
And we ourselves need to be continually renewed, just like Paul talks about in Romans 12, to not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To live transformatively is to ask big questions and to see how Jesus can take those questions and do things with them in this world. Love sacrificially. Live transformatively. That is what the cross and that is what the resurrection is saying to me today. And I hope that's what it's saying to you as well. And as we close out today, I pray that you can kind of take inventory. Have you just seen Easter as a holiday? Have you just seen Easter as a time to get together with family? And that's fine. I'm excited. I get to be with my family today and just celebrate together, eat some good food. I love that. But if we don't make Easter more than that, we're missing out on what Jesus is calling us to see, to love sacrificially and to live transformatively. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your resurrection. God, please help us to put flesh on this day, to not just make it about a holiday, but to make it be impactful to our lives and the lives of other people around us. Lord, I pray this morning that we can spend time with family, but also spend time with you in prayer and meditation and just make an effort to live uh, out the cross and the resurrection the way that you've so beautifully shown us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.